Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And I just saw on irishtimes.com there that Ellen Keane has won Ireland's first medal at the Paralympics in Tokyo with a stunning gold. Right, Ellen. Um, silly question first. Your immediate thoughts after securing a gold medal? Um, I don't think it's fully sank in yet. Um, when I dove in, my goggles filled up with water. So I think maybe that was a good thing because I couldn't see where the girls were around me. Just on the turn, I kind of saw Sophie a little bit, but I just had a game plan in mind and I stuck to that and just kept the last thing my coach said before I went in was, if I need to push you in a wheelchair home, I want those legs wrecked. And that's exactly what I did. She edged out New Zealand's Sophie Pascoe after a thrilling head-to-head battle in the pool and it's a great start to Ireland's campaign at the Paralympics in Tokyo and I want to give a shout out also to women's podcast regular and Irish Times writer Joanna Reardon who is playing a blinder as part of RTE's Paralympic coverage. Do try to tune in to some of the action. There's table tennis, cycling, equestrian events and all sorts going on at the moment. Some truly incredible Irish people performing and not just women. There's some great men as well and good luck to them all. We need to keep the good vibes from Kelly Harrington's boxing gold coming. So well done to swimmer Ellen Keane. Now, fear at the moment is mounting for women and girls in Afghanistan. We've mentioned it on the podcast before and we hope to be coming back to it in a bit more depth. I just read a piece today, which I just I'm absolutely sickened by. The Taliban have told working women to stay at home admitting that women are just not safe in the presence of the militant group's soldiers. The Taliban spokesperson, Zabula Mohajid, said at a news conference yesterday that women should not go to work for their own safety, undermining the group's efforts to convince international observers that they would be more tolerant towards women when they were last in power. Mohajid This Taliban person said the guidance to stay at home would be temporary and would allow the group to find ways to ensure that women are not treated in a disrespectful way or, God forbid, hurt. He admitted the measure was necessary because the Taliban soldiers keep changing and are not trained. Basically, they're not trained to respect women. And I just think it's so ironic that someone in the Taliban is talking about, God forbid, women be hurt when that's what they do all the time. They're misogynists. They force women into sexual slavery. They force young girls to get married. They they kill people, you know. Um, he said, we are happy for them to enter the buildings, but we want to make sure they do not face any worries. Therefore, we have asked women to take time off from work until the situation gets back to normal. <laughs> and that women... <laughs> I mean, I'm just actually reading it. It's just, it reads like something that um, Margaret Atwood 
would write. Therefore, we have asked them to take time off from work until the situation gets back to a normal order and women-related procedures are in place that they can return to their jobs once it is announced. Women-related procedures, like women are some other species and not equal human beings in the world. Just in case we forget, when they were in power between 1996 and 2001, the Taliban banned women from the workplace, stopped them from leaving the home unaccompanied and forced them to cover their entire bodies. And to be honest, there isn't much sign that it's going to be any different now. Um, I know we're opening Ireland up to refugees from Afghanistan. And I just think we should just you know, welcome as many people as we can, particularly women. I mean, they say it's a temporary thing, but it's just so worrying This is what he said as well. Our security forces are not trained in how to deal with women, how to speak to women. So until we have full security in place, we ask women to stay home. I'm just, yeah, I think we will definitely come back on the podcast to this. We'll hopefully get some Afghani women to talk to us. Um, I know it would be absolutely impossible to get somebody who's actually there, but hopefully somebody who's managed to get out and we'll come back to this because it's just horrendous. Um, to think of what those women are going through. And so uh, there's so many courageous women in Afghanistan at the moment who have been out protesting. And you can imagine, like you think about us on the streets here, uh, you know, fighting for repeal the Eighth Amendment and, and uh, you know, going out in the streets was was a jubilant thing, was something very positive for, for those women going out to just protest their very right to exist and be in the world and the danger that they're in just doing that. I I am just full of awe and respect and I, I'm just thinking so much about them and As I said, we will return to that subject on the podcast. But today we're talking about something else. It's back to school time. It's that time of year again. And I know that parents and children all across the land are hoping it will be third time lucky after two heavily disrupted academic years. Um, years that were so disrupted by COVID and, you know, we're all wondering, will we have an unbroken go at it this time with with the fact that the vaccination programme is rolling out? So what do we need to talk about? Well, we need to talk about face masks, for one thing, about ventilation in classrooms, um, about the dreaded sniffles, the non-COVID related ones, you know, where, where you can't, uh, you have to keep your child at home and how that's going to interfere with things again. And just how are we feeling about sending children back into primary and secondary school in these still very strange times? And we're aware, obviously, that not all our listeners are parents or have children. But I mean, I think everyone has little people in their lives, whether they're nieces or nephews or or other kinds of relations or friends. And it's something that definitely affects wider society as well. So to discuss the back to school scenarios, we got women's podcast regular award winning Irish Times parenting writer and mother of seven, Jen Hogan in with Maria Rush from Donegal. Maria is a secondary school teacher and mother of two girls aged five and nine. Maria also writes a parenting column on Donegal Woman called Thoroughly Modern Mammy. And I started by asking them both to tell me about the ages and stages they are at with their own children. Jen and Maria, thank you very much for joining us. Jen, I'll start with you and your millions of children, as I always say when you're on the podcast. Um, You're going to be having a very busy time now starting back to school, but I presume that you're delighted in some ways for them to be getting back in. I am. I mean, it's it's absolutely chaotic trying to get them back and hectic and I'm still not completely sorted yet and like I have that kind of pit in my stomach knowing there's that much to do 
But I think after what's happened over the last couple of years, I don't know that any parent was completely comfortable this summer or completely relaxed going, let's enjoy the break and they'll be back in September. I think there was still that fear, you know, that kind of that leaving cert dream was still happening that the kids might just not get back to school. So I am hugely relieved that they're going back um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a bit of routine Again, I'm hoping it's going to be third time lucky and that we'll have the full the full school year this year with no no major disruptions save um the few that might arise from the from the old COVID restrictions. And Jen, run us through quickly before we get on to Maria, uh the different stages and ages you have going on. So my youngest is, he'll be going to senior infants this time. I still haven't been inside his classroom because obviously last year we weren't allowed in with junior infants and I don't think I'll be in again in senior infants. He's going into senior infants, so he's five. Um, I'll have somebody going into, I have to think about this, and somebody going into second class, somebody going into fifth class, somebody going into third year, so state exams, somebody going into fifth year. And my daughter's going into third year in college, just to give her a mention, even though I know it's not school, but she's getting back to lectures after, so like, after spending all of last year streaming lectures into her bedroom and most of first year. So she's getting back on campus. It looks so like. if so anyone <laughs> feels um, overwhelmed by the little school drops that you have to do, you, when you hear when you think about what Jen is going to be doing, you feel a lot better and it could be worse. That's all I would say. It Maria, what worse. about you? The reason we wanted to have you on is because you're both on the teaching side. You're a teacher. You're also a parent. So what is your back to school uh, world looking like? Oh, it's going to be chaotic. But I think the key word that Jen just used there is routine um, for myself and for the girls. So my two little girls are five and nine. One's going into senior infants and the other is going into fourth class. And then I teach secondary school as well. So, yeah, it's, it's as you said, third time lucky. And hopefully we'll be able to have a full school year this year with no no huge disruptions other than what's kind of expected with the snuffles and the flus and all that jazz, you know. Well, that's the hope. Let's let's hope for that. Yeah. And we can only just if we visualise it, maybe it will come. Yes. Maria, talk to me about masks, because this is a huge issue for everybody. I mean, I think everybody in wider society as well. I think there's a definitely a face mask fatigue thing going on. If you look even at the GAA uh, celebration match afterwards, people in the streets, you know, very close together, not wearing masks. There seems to be a little bit of um, resistance going on. But in schools particularly, there's a huge conversation. So in secondary schools, they're going to be wearing masks. In primary school, the decision has been made that they won't have to be. What are you hearing from parents and teachers about that issue? Yeah, again, and it's a a double-sided coin. In secondary school, the kids have been wearing masks, obviously, since the start of this. Um, I hate them. I hate them on the kids. I hate trying to teach with 25 kids in front of me who I can only see their eyes. Um, a huge part of teaching, especially I teach English. So a lot of my class is communication and group work and conversation. And that's just, it's not happening anymore. So my job is particularly difficult, I find, with masks. Um, even from my own point of view, from wearing the masks and the visors, um, I very quickly invested in a microphone at the start of the school year last year when we went back to school so that at least the kids could hear me without the muffle of the mask. But I find it very difficult to hear the students and they're trying to speak and then you're asking them to repeat themselves. And for especially for a child who's already anxious or already maybe struggling in the classroom situation, it's it's just another hindrance to them. We can't see their faces. We don't know. We can't read them. So you can't what do your usual where you walk into a classroom on a Monday morning and know to look at John Joe that he's had a bad weekend or Mary has something wrong with her over in the corner. That's that's kind of disappeared from classrooms. So as a teacher, there is a there's huge challenges from the point of view of mask wearing um, 
the physical mask wearing in the classrooms. I've met kids out over the summer who I don't even know. Is that the wee girl in my class? Is that the wee boy? Because I haven't, I've never seen their full faces before. So I'm looking forward very much to the day where I can walk into school and see their faces again because it's going to make life a lot easier for both them and for the staff. As a parent, um, again, of two two girls, one being five, she, she couldn't keep a mask on if she... <laughs> it would be pulled off and it would be on her head and it, she, uh, it would be everywhere. Um, you know, there's so many reasons that little children can't really be asked to wear them. In my opinion, I think the, the idea of learning, of communication, of... of their skills, their development, they need to be able to read faces. There's so many things, I suppose, from a psychological point of view as well. Um, the older girl probably wouldn't have as much bother now if she was asked to wear a mask because she she would be one of those kids who, if we're out and about, we've never made her wear a mask. But if she feels uncomfortable herself, sometimes she'll put one on. I don't question that. She's, she's nearly 10 years old. If she feels comfortable wearing it, that's okay. But I do, I do get both sides. I fully understand the idea of the fear um, of the, of this this Delta variant spreading. I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's not it's not going anywhere, and it doesn't care how far on we are or how progressed we are in society with our our restrictions. It's still there. So I think it is something that we just have to trust. You know, the teenagers. It's awful, but they they will be okay in the same way as you said. The adults, we will get past this, and hopefully, in in the not too distant future, we'll see faces and smiles again. Yeah, um, I think Maria's hit on a lot of what people are feeling, Jen, and you have got a lot of response. You're on Twitter very actively, and you're on a lot of radio shows talking about these issues. What what are you hearing from people about what the mask issue? Well, first of all, I knew I'd forget a child. I should have known I'd forget a child. I won't start in first year as well. Sorry, middle child. I forgot middle child syndrome. There, there's me justifying it so it's going to be yeah, huge you're going to be paying for those therapy I, bills in I'm the future Jen good luck with that <laughs> he's starting first year there was another child starting but he's going to be wearing a mask this year so I was I was particularly interested personally wondering were we going to be going into another year of masks in secondary school and obviously we are and it's going to be a new experience for him and it's probably the thing that has him he's focusing on that a lot how will he get used to it I'm sure he will get used to it you know but it is going to be obviously an adjustment for him putting this out to parents and I do I speak with them regularly about this in advance of doing shows and even for for work within the Irish Times I speak to them regularly about masks and their sentiments on masks and there was overwhelming relief from parents of primary school children and I will have to say plenty of people who work within child support services so the likes of speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, psychologists, psychotherapists, they were relieved to see that this decision had been taken because yes parents are nervous of COVID but they're actually possibly more nervous of the consequences of the restrictions the consequences of missing school and yes I, I do realise in saying that there is always you know that masks offer a degree of protection but looking at the risk benefit most parents were content with this decision and they feel that it was the right decision they were concerned about whether their child would actually manage the mask like Maria is saying they're particularly with younger children that would they be touching their face would they be pulling the mask off sharing masks swapping masks with friends you know what would this sort of thing be happening but also that whole idea of speech and language development, recognising social cues, having those conversations, meeting friendships, you know, it's very difficult for children that kind of react to, to these sorts, to the to other people's actions. And, and it's very hard to gauge things purely from tone and even even the distorted voices. You know yourself when you're chatting to people with masks on, you're kind of like this with the ear yeah. up to them. We're all roaring and a little bit more. Jen, so there was what about... What about ventilation? Because masks is one thing, but there's other conversation about CO2 monitors and mm. windows open and all that kind of thing. What are you hearing around that? I mean, that doesn't seem to be a big part of the strategy, no. uh, the government strategy at all. 
which people like Orla Hegarty, who are, you know, really pushing on this, saying it's vital and really important. Yeah, increased ventilation is something that parents would like to see because of the opening of windows just as the solution is one that's not hugely reassuring. But also, you know, look at Ireland. We live in a country that isn't exactly renowned for glorious weather. And as we get into the later months, if that's our only source of ventilation and you've cut, you have windows wide open, no matter what the temperature is, that that's a concern for parents in both regards, both as knowing that it's not enough, but also knowing their kids are going to be freezing in school. So it's kind of that double side of things. They would like, parents would like to see other measures taken because obviously nobody wants, nobody wants their child to catch COVID. They're perhaps somewhat realistic about the, the risk that there is when it's um, in the community, but nobody wants them to catch COVID. So they would like to see other mitigation measures taking place. However, I will say there is a however. While they're saying this and they and they absolutely, I think the vast, vast majority of parents would absolutely support increased ventilation. And we're relieved to see that here that the CO2 monitors were delivered to schools this week and more to be delivered. What they wouldn't want to see is schools closed again because there's an argument going, well, we don't have adequate ventilation. So now we need to shut the schools till we sort that. And then there's a whole panic about when do we get them back open again? So I think there is that huge concern. If schools close, how long till we get them open? Because the last twice that they closed, it took much longer to get them open again than um, than we had hoped. Um, Maria, what about vaccinations? Um, is because that's something new, I suppose, bigger than what it was in the last um, parts of school. You know, our, our population that is vaccinated is more. Is there rules that say the teach all teachers have to be vaccinated, or what way does that work? No, it's the same as every every public service job. Is, is there, I don't think they can be asked. Um, we certainly haven't been asked. I don't know the numbers of how many teachers are vaccinated or not vaccinated. I think most people who are going to take it at this point have. You know, I feel, I suppose I'm going back into school feeling a lot more confident this year than I did last year. I was an absolute nervous wreck this time last year. Fear, again, as, as a mommy and as a teacher, terror, right? It really was frightening. Um, I'm very lucky in that I work in a very modern, big, spacious school building with fantastic management. So, you know, at no point have I ever really felt unsafe. We all wear our PPE gear, we all have our visors, we all are behind perspex. You know, we've adapted our classroom situations to make sure that we were safe and that we were keeping the kids in front of us safe. Um, there's going to be a bit more confidence for us going back in because at least we have that kind of perhaps security or feeling a bit more confident that we are vaccinated. And I suppose a lot of the students in front of us now will be vaccinated as well. But I don't think that can allow for complacency to set in. I think we do need to very much make sure over the next few months that we continue with public health measures, continue social distancing, the wearing of masks, the washing of hands, until we get to a point where public health advice allows us to take that breath, literally and metaphorically, you know. So I think it's, yeah, definitely for me, I'm not quite as frightened going back. What about that thing? Because it's something I'm thinking about. I've got two daughters going into sixth class now um, and I'm having that sort of anxiousness about what if they wake up one morning and they've got a bit of a sniffle and that thing of, you know, oh, feck, now they can't go in and all of that thing. Is that something you're talking to other teachers, other parents about? Yeah, I was speaking to my husband about this last night as well, because the reality is, you know, whereas beforehand, I often, even as a, as a worker, went on ahead to work, dosed up in the LEMSIP and went on ahead to school. Now I'm talking pre-COVID times here, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, you had to be on your back before you left work, before you stayed off, before you took a day off. Whereas now, if my five-year-old wakes up on Monday morning with a cough or a sniffle or any sort of fever, obviously I can't send her in. So there is a, there's going to be an issue with, with workers, not just teachers, all workers across the board with what happens if you have to take time off work now because your child can't go to the childminder or your child can't go to school. Um, 
it's something I don't think that as a society we've we've really considered at all. You know, I I fully understand the reality of, and again, as a teacher, don't send your child into school if your child is feeling unwell or has the snuffles. But we're also going into winter flu season. Within two or three weeks every year of going back to school, the kids are snuffling. We're dosed and snuffling. We're all back in small confined spaces. You know, it's it's very normal to have those kind of winter snuffles and everything else. So are we going to keep every single child off school? And out of childcare, and in doing so, land perhaps neighbours, grandparents, aunts, uncles, people who maybe if you have that, if you're lucky enough to have that support system around you, you know, that's going to be a huge issue. If you don't have that support system around you and you have no choice but to take time off work, what who pays for it? Where, where does the sick leave come out of? Where, who's How many days annual leave can you take if you get annual leave? For I suppose for myself, it's going to be looking at unpaid leave because there's only so much time you can take out of your own sick, you know. So I think that's a huge issue that hopefully, again, with the progression of societies dealing with the situation that hopefully by the time we get maybe to the end of the winter, it'll have settled. But I think it is just that would be a worry for me now as as a mommy. Yeah. And Jen, what are you talking to other parents about that as well? Because it, it does seem to be a big issue. That's going to have to kind of change. I mean, it is winter time, like Maria says, and we're going to kind of be dealing with this. No, just one parent messaged me the last day about it. And her point was her child suffers from asthma and constantly has a cough. You know, so there's that. She said the child's already paranoid out in public. And I've been there myself over the summer where my wee one has a wee cough or whatever. And you're looking and if they sneeze or cough, it's like, oh. <gasps> You know, so if you have a child who's anxious sitting in a classroom, suddenly coughs, the whole class turns. This is a situation that is awful and I've seen it. I've seen it in the classroom situation. It's not nice. Have you any thoughts on that, Jen? Yeah, I'm hearing it from parents too. And actually um, from parents who have children with additional needs who are saying, you know, that the PCR tests are quite traumatic for their children um, who may have sensory issues and stuff. And obviously they have to be done on occasions that they're necessary but as parents said, when I know it is just his usual sinuses or her usual sinuses or perhaps a, a slight allergy or sensitivity to something, am I going to have to put my child through this every single time they sneeze? And and that's what, like Marie said, I, I really hope that they will review this in, in practical sense as time goes by. Because, you know, once the kids go into school, particularly younger children, you see snotty noses constantly. They're not ill enough necessarily. Sorry, we're in a pandemic. Obviously, it's different. And I understand this with COVID. But typically in non-pandemic times, they're not ill enough to be out of school. It's just a runny nose. It's just the usual thing that goes. It's just a sniffle that goes with children being ill. The other things they were talking about, the likes of diarrhea and stuff. Well, you would hope parents aren't sending their children to school with those symptoms anyway. I mean, that shouldn't be happening in non-pandemic times. But the sniffles are going to cause a real problem. And as Maria was said there, what about the parents who don't have backup? And what if what if it happens so frequently over the course of the winter, like a, a simple sniffle? that you actually run out of annual leave. What is supposed to happen then? How are employers supposed to cope? How are you supposed to cope? This is going to fall back, as we know, on women largely. And we're all there's already been this whole conversation about us constantly being visible as parents to our employers. We constantly are because we're going, well, I can't do that because I have this commitment to that with my child. Here we go again. It will largely fall on women like the homeschooling did, like the, the school closures did, like everything else did. This is going to fall largely on women again. And, and their careers and their employment disrupted and them kind of getting that, oh, here we go again. Even the most sympathetic of employees, they're, they're still they're going to have their own difficulties that their staff can't come into work because their staff have to take off time to mind a child who has a sniffle. So I do hope that while I understand why and I understand that this is one of the symptoms and they have to look at it that way, but I do hope that they will review this and look at this on a practical level and as, as uh, the school year progresses. 
Yeah. Speaking of women, how do you rate another woman, Norma Foley, our Minister for Education, and how she's been handling this whole thing? I mean, an exceptionally difficult time to be Minister for Education for anybody. And she's sort of relatively new in a, in a very senior position like that. How do you think she's done? I actually feel very sorry for Norma Foley. I think she gets a really raw deal. And you know what drives me mad? Do you ever see those references to her clutching her pearls or whatever she's wearing or all these sort of comments? I mean, that it, it actually just brings out the rage because I don't see what that's got to do, what Norma Foley chooses to wear or not wear. Um, I don't even understand why it's part of the conversation. It really annoys me. But that's how people resort to this kind of, I suppose women in politics have, have referred to this constantly. They're judged in ways that men are never judged. But I do feel, I do feel sorry for her. I think there are certain jobs within the government that are particularly difficult. I wouldn't like to be the Minister for Health, the Minister for Education or the Minister for Social Welfare. Any of those jobs are particularly their jobs that you are I mean, they're obviously, if you can get them right, they are incredibly important jobs for the running of our society. I do think for anybody taking them on and for Norma to take on such, such an important role, um, you know, and, and just be appointed to government, that is, that is really, really difficult for her. So I do think, I think has she got, she's got some things right. She's got, um, I, I think she has got some things right. I think she's come out and she has tried to do her best. She is dealing. I know Maria will probably have a different viewpoint to me. She is trying to keep everybody happy here. She's trying to keep teaching unions happy. She's trying to keep parents happy. She's trying to she's trying to keep government colleagues happy. She's trying to do everything. I do think she has a difficult job. I haven't always agreed with the decisions that she's made, but I do accept that she has a really difficult job. Maria, I want to bring you in here from the teacher's perspective. How do you rate Norma Foley? Oh, God, what a question to ask. <laughs> um, I do. I would agree with what, what Jen said. I don't think anybody who works in politics at the minute, um, I don't know how they do it. I really I really don't. And I think in, especially in the current climate, you know, we need leadership for, on, on all fronts, education, health, finance, everything needs leadership. Have we gotten it? We haven't. We haven't. Um you know, there are so many issues. Education is always going to be one of those confrontational and controversial things because there will never be, there's so many different sides to the, to the story of education and so many different viewpoints and opinions that there is no there is no right or wrong. And in the middle is where the reality lies and it all is to do with perspective. So I suppose, you know, in today, in the current situation today with what's happening in the news at the minute, from my perspective, I'm going back to school feeling confident and safe and you know as I said already I have great management that work in my individual school so that's fine I'm not in a situation that other women are in at the minute where perhaps they've just found out that they're pregnant and they have all those stresses going on as well so that's you know can I say that there's proper guidance happening there it's not for me to say because I'm not in that situation but if I was I probably would feel quite unhappy at the minute um but again there's so many different opinions about that people will say well what about us it's it's relative to your own situation. Um, with the education in general, and I mean across the board throughout the years, I'm 20 years in the classroom now, and every single situation that comes up within education, it's the same idea. Everybody has an opinion. There are experts who give their opinion. There are people who aren't experts who still have a, a, opinions, all of which are often valid. But there's the idea that sometimes we just need to let the teachers get on with things, let the schools get on with things. Management in schools, you know, we... we Schools know what what we're doing. We are we're highly qualified. We're we're quite intelligent. Most of us, you know, we're doing it for the right reasons. We love our jobs. Um, would any department in the country work better with fantastic leadership? Yes, 
would we work better with different leadership? I don't I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, we're all dealing day to day with what's in front of us. Um, Norma has the unfortunate job of being the figurehead. I agree completely with what you said, Jen. Actually, it really grinds my gears, the commentary about her appearance. I don't think that would be an issue if she was standing in a, you know, as a male. Um, I just think this, I think for everybody involved, the sooner we get back to normal, the better. And personally, I want schools to get reopened now. Let us go back. Let us do our jobs. Let us get on with doing what we do best and try and be a bit more positive about things as we go from yeah. here on. I think I think what has happened definitely, I feel it even talking to, you know, fellow parents and people, the respect um, and appreciation for teachers, I, I hope, has gone up a lot because there is a lot of talk about teachers and long holidays and all that kind of stereotype thing that we we'd go on about. But I think when, when we were able to bring our kids back into school and stop homeschooling, there was like an absolute, oh, my God, thank goodness. So hope that's there. But Jen, you wanted to get in on, on what Maria was saying. I did. There's just one thing, Maria. Sorry, I, I would I'd maybe come and add this from the perspective of a parent and as somebody who many, many, many moons ago actually taught herself um. I, I do think that rather than just letting the teachers get on with it and schools get on, I actually think it's really important that parents do play a role in this. And I know you you do think that too. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think it is yeah. it is important that parents are heard because I, I would think sometimes for parents it feels a little bit like we're students too. I do think it, it can feel a little bit like this, that we are told this is this is the way it's going to be. And I think it's important for parents. And that might not be because of this it might not be the school's fault. It's just that default position you take when you're you're dealing with schools. <coughs> sorry excuse me that that whole idea that oh well, they're the teachers and they're charged and they know what they're doing and of course that's not to dispute that they don't but I do think parental involvement and parental opinion and parental suggestions I think it's a school is a community and it's really important that all voices are heard and I do think over the whole debate around reopening schools in particular the voice of the child was completely lost there there was very few um, conversations happening and I think there was an undermining of parental voices a little bit as if their voices didn't matter but usually they were trying to speak about and, and on behalf of the child who couldn't be heard. So I think, yes, we absolutely have to put our trust in the schools and in teachers who are doing their job and who are in the within the education system and they know how it works and they've been doing this for a long time. But I do think it's important that parents are able to voice their opinions and voice their concerns and, and speak up for the child because in this whole thing, the one voice we haven't heard enough was that of the child. Yeah, um, and actually on that kind of as well is uh, the National Child Care Scheme is kicking in um, September as well with more parents getting access to subventions for childcare, which is great for a lot of parents. But I've been actually talking to some people in community care services and they're really worried that very disadvantaged children are going to be getting less supports and less services, you know, for creche and after school because of this new uh, thing in the, in the system, which says that if your parents aren't working, you get less hours. Um, subsidised so there, there's something there as well in terms of the, the voice of the child like you know children are now being kind of um, at the whim of whatever their parents are doing where, where of course some people in very disadvantaged communities if their parents aren't working they almost need those services even more uh, um, so anyway it's just something I've been looking at have either of you been thinking about the childcare scheme at all? Not specifically in relation to what you're saying there, Roisin, but you are dead right. I don't know if you've ever had a look at the Growing Up in Ireland survey and it is co- it is constantly shown across the board. Like the, a child born to a disadvantaged family has a, a lower life expectancy, worse health um, outcome projections, you know, same with education. There, there are opportunities from where you were born and that never completely corrects itself the whole way through. Yes, you, opportunities may come your way and you may end up having a different lifestyle to what your parents had, but it never completely corrects itself. How, 
what you're born into literally dictates the advantage yeah. that you will have going forward. And that, that's the same here. Without the support, possibly, as you said, for children who are coming from a household where perhaps nobody is working, perhaps they need those supports even more. We do need to look yeah. at things. The child, the needs, the well-being and the voice of the child keep being lost. Has to come They're first. Con- and they have to come first. We need child-centred solutions to things. but And they should be child-centred, but it should come first. Children depend on adults to make decisions that are in their best interest. And that isn't happening. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I do think the National Care Scheme is great for mm. a lot of parents and it's a really, it's a positive step. But it's just so that, not that these children, it's a small, you know, it's not a huge number of children, but it's it's that they don't fall through the gaps. Yes. Because, you know, if we're not looking after them, then we're, you know, I think as a society, uh, we're really messed up. I just want to finish on finances because this is a really expensive time for everybody who has people going into school. Um, Maria, what are, what are your, your thoughts on the financial burden and is there anything you have to say about any cost savings or anything like yeah. that? The credit unions have stated that, you know, it costs is it €1,200 Euros to send a primary school child back to school and up to 1500 for a secondary school child. And that's not including the schools where um, they're kind of expected to or required to buy iPads or, or, you know, and some of those can cost up to €800, €900. Euros. It seems to me just ridiculous that that is the cost of education for for primary school. I am one of those people, I suppose, where I will try on the uniforms like last week. I'm talking last minute, Sally. The <laughs> uniforms were tried on. Uh, anything that still fits is going back on them in September. I don't, I think we need to move away. A lot of people t- tend to feel that everything has to be new all the time. Um, if they don't need a new school bag, they don't need a new school bag. And I know with school bags and the weight of books and stuff over the years, generally they do need a new one every year. But my two have both, well, the oldest girl has had two years out of hers because she's only been in and out of school the odd time with the last 18 months. But also with not carrying books to and from school every single day, it has actually allowed the school bag to last a wee bit longer. Um, jumpers, the crested jumpers, and the school my kids go to have those. They're 32 euros a jumper. I buy the jumper in Duns or Pennies for eight or nine pound or euro, and then I take it to the local embroidery place and put the crest on for a fiver. And I mean, those are ways that you can save. Um, I suppose we ways like that that you can save where you're not feeling the need to be constantly buying stuff. There's a huge issue with secondary school as well. I suppose from the point of view of sports and and gear and the runners. I mean, my kids don't care what they're wearing on their feet, but when you're 14, 15, there is. I mean, Jen, you can probably testify to this. It is much more difficult, and it's very difficult for parents. You know, these these runners can cost up to 160 quid a pair. And, you know, I think there's from the point of view of uniform, there's two sides. You've got the really expensive unnecessarily. So sometimes where the uniforms are so structured and so structured and so strict that they cost a fortune. Wouldn't it be great to see a PE gear or kit, the same kind of thing, perhaps not crested, but, you know, a certain you know, we were always kind of encouraged in school not to wear branded stuff. It wasn't really allowed back in the 90s when I was going to school in Letterkenny. Um it's just every situation is different. I feel the stress and pressure that parents are under to kit their kid out to go back to school is unreal. And we have free education. We, like, we have free yeah. education. Free, uh, free inverted commas. Jen, final word for you on um, on the finances and maybe just to put a positive spin on going back and 
in a sort of a better climate, let's fingers crossed and all that. Yeah. Well, I can't, I can do the positive spin, but not on the finances, I'm afraid. Okay, <laughs> we'll do the finances first and then put the positive spin. <laughs> so finances, of course, I know I'm in a slightly different situation with my socially unacceptable number of children. So it has run into the thousands for me to send my children back to school. And that's not, and well, that might sound like how, 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 how. When you look at, I mean, for one, one is it going to an iPad school. So the initial outlay for him, 1,000 euro for the iPad and the books, both of which are needed. And that's just a crippling cost. And the solutions some of the schools are proposing are um, you're handed a leaflet where you can get a good value loan. I do take the exception to that. I think it's a real, you know, it, it's to- it both recognises the challenge for parents, but still expects them to go ahead with it anyway. And everything Maria raised about the crested uniform pieces, it, it, they're hugely, hugely expensive, a huge pressure. And all those activities, the difference with teens, Maria's raised them all there. They're all... They're all real. Um, leaving kids out of after school activities, they're often viewed as this kind of optional thing, optional extra. They're not really because it's very hard when your child is the child who's not involved in the local team or dance or drama or whatever it is that they love. But also because it's, it's, these activities are so important in helping them with other developmental skills and social skills and meeting friends and finding their tribe if they haven't found them in school. There's so many reasons why these are important. And then things like swimming lessons and life skills. But we could go on about that forever. So, so the, the cost of going back to school is not to be underestimated. I would agree with Maria where where, where you don't need new, don't get new because, you know, chances are going to lose it during the year. Anyhow, so just just what's essential. I do think and I do really hope that we're at the beginning of the end with in terms of all this hell that we've been through. I've thought back. I would not like to go back in time because I would not like to live through that pandemic again. I just could not. And I know we're still here. I know we're not out the other side. But there's a hope now with the vaccination program. There's a hope now um, about the like with the kids going back to school even hearing Maria say how she's not nervous and terrified like she was last year that's so refreshing to hear that people have a different view I do think parents feel differently about their their kids going back yes they're worried about Delta we're all aware of the transmissibility and uh, and everything and how you know we're aware particularly with our primary school age children that there's a large group of unvaccinated people going back together and, and we know that but at the same time with they've gone back to school twice before after school closures and there is that feeling of we've done it before we can do it again and there's a real hope that this is going to be third time lucky and we're going to have a full academic year and we're not looking into it well that's the hope anyway but I do think it's there I do think it's different this time and we're all going to be looking forward to to those kind of restrictions gradually easing and it probably will be very gradually but gradually easing when we feel part of the school community once more as parents and when we can see our kids artwork outside their classroom and little things like that that we've missed out on and maybe attend graduations and the sort of stuff that parents haven't necessarily been able to so I think this year is a a year definitely a school year filled with hope and hopefully the beginning of the end that's great and Maria is your glass half full too finally my glass is always half full (laughs) um I will say a few different I suppose just trust trust the schools um trust your gut as well as parents you know your, your, your gut's never wrong when it comes to parenting it really isn't um communication is key Jen you touched on it a wee while ago In order for staff and schools to fully support the students and the children in front of us, we need communication with parents just as much as communication is needed by by the schools, you know, for the parents as well. Um, And there's so many issues within schools. And I've said this a thousand times before. There's so many issues with individuals and children in schools that all it takes often is one phone call and one conversation. And that is sorted and, and appeased. So you know, communicate with the school. I think one of the positive things that did come out, one of the very few positive things that did come out of homeschooling was the communication with 
students and parents and that idea of being able accessibility you know that there's ways of being able to communicate and stuff now that maybe weren't in place three or four years ago so as much as I personally have no interest in ever going back to online teaching because it was a completely different job to what I've been doing for 20 years it was completely new um there were positives that came out of it as well and I think communicating between the parents and the teachers Jen as you said voices of the adults have to sometimes speak for the children because at the end of the day it's, it's about the kids whether you're a parent or a teacher it's about the kids and we will have a good year we will yeah I think Maria that communication is really important and just keep talking and let's hope you never have to hear the word seesaw ever again because I don't amen to that thank you Maria thank you Jen um, I hope it all goes as well as you're kind of hopefully talking about um, and that you all have a very good school year that's full and doesn't close at any point let's hope for that thanks very much for coming on the women's podcast that was Jen Hogan and Maria Rush there and thank you very much to them and I wish you all the best if you do have children going back to school or any young people in your lives who are heading back in whether they're in secondary or primary the best of luck to all of us and that's all we have time for the podcast is produced by me Roshi Ningle by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound contact us on social on Instagram Facebook or Twitter using at IT Women's Podcast we're on email to thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com and we love hearing from you. So until next time, mind yourselves and thanks very much for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.